she's back, she's back. <laughs> Do you feel like you've been away? You've been back like nearly a week now, so I bet it feels like what on earth am I talking about? It feels like I never went. Mm. Been a but did you have a night? For our listeners, mum had a holiday, finally, as they know from the last podcast. So I went to the Cotswolds for six days. Beautiful, beautiful part of the country. But um, the North East and North Yorkshire, it's just as beautiful. You think that, yeah, yeah. Very, very similar. That. that people don't realise that we've got up here. Um, mm. Because nobody really knows this part of the world, do they? No, no. So we'll, so. Just, we'll just keep it at that, keep it our secret. <laughs> so did you, yeah, you had a nice time. You feel refreshed. <laughs> no, I do. No, I do. I do. But um, it's been a full on week. So, yeah, in many respects, you look back and you think last week was the dim and distant past, but that's okay. Yeah. It was nice. It was really nice to have a break and really nice to have a proper, proper break where I wasn't being hassled about things. Mm. So, you. you know what? We've got that carried away. I haven't even done the proper introduction to the podcast. Or the ending. Well, we'll do that. Comes after the introduction, Mum. Well, <laughs> it's because we've been. Well, I know. I'm going to get into that. I'm going to get. I'm going to get into that. Right. So here we go. Hello and welcome to It's in the Jeans podcast, a podcast by the Digital Gene. My name is Declan, and I'm Sharon, and we're a mum and son duo and directors. We should say founding directors, really. Now there's more than two of us, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So today, the reason I didn't introduce it properly is because we're not really at the beginning of the recording because we've just had an hour-long interview with our first guests on the podcast ever so it's Karen and Callum which I find really hard to say Karen and Callum in quick succession um don't you because I really have to like yeah so it's anyway Karen and Callum from a company called Creative Inc they are also web designers they're all obviously I'm in Leeds. They're based just outside of Leeds. Um, so the whole interview that we're going to talk about is their journey, what it's like working with each other, and then also mm-hmm. um, web accessibility um, that they've carved a little bit of a niche for themselves, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Um, talking about web accessibility and how it's an untapped market. Really interesting. Um, but, New, you know, it comes from um, Callum being autistic um, and different neurodiverse. I think they're, they're obviously going to be better at explaining it when we get to the interview. Yeah. So, Way but back. Yeah, mm, yeah. So I suppose they also stick around to chat about, because the interview was quite long, we've only got one topic that we're discussing today, other than the usual things and that is the social dilemma on Netflix's documentary about big tech platforms which everyone seems to be talking about within our sector so they both stick around to give their opinions on it and we have a bit of a chat about that as well so here's the interview So our first ever guests on this podcast, It's In The Jeans, we thought it would be a good idea to get another mum and son duo. So today we're joined with Karen and Callum from Creative Inc. 
Um, hi, guys. Hi. 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 Thanks for having yeah. us on. Not not just another family team, but another mum and son. I know. Yeah. When I when I saw you know like your digital gene, um, you know like a, sort of a post on Facebook, it yeah. was small, and small uh, world. yeah, small yeah. world. Yes, yeah. great to see, isn't it? it is. Especially how we kind of both connected from the NetWest Accelerator as well. That we we both ended up as two lots of teams on it. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of it's a lot of overlap. It's yeah. overlap, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is quite quite a coincidence. And it was meant to be. It was. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So um I know before we had press record I've asked how you are, but just for the sake of the podcast, how are you guys doing? Absolutely fine. Yeah, yeah. Really yeah. Fine. Things yeah. things are going quite well. You know, obviously a bit fed up with everything that's going on with COVID. Mm. But um, you know. We just have to carry on, don't we? Yeah, we do. I think because we work at home, that makes it a lot easier for us to just um, crack on as as well and just continue. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Working remotely, we've we've been able to acclimatise oh, a lot quicker than everybody else, haven't we? We have. Um, we we're already doing it, and so doing more of it hasn't really affected. Yeah. Our types of businesses that much, yeah. And I think no. the good thing is as well that we are in a position to help other people that are not used to it. I mean, I can't remember how many Zoom explanations I've done for people, you know, like tutorials just to show them what to do. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Oh, wow, this is brilliant! I'm going to do this all the time now." And it's nice to help people, you know, when you already sort of in a position where you know because everything's going digital now, isn't it? I know. Can you can you imagine six months? You know, if we wound the clock back six months, we we often used to say to people, "Oh, shall we, shall we Skype?" Not so much Zoom, although we knew it existed. It was mainly, "Shall we Skype?" And they're all, "No, no, no, thanks." Can you come and see us? And now everybody just wants to Zoom, don't they? I know they do, but it's yeah. so easy now as well. I mean, Skype. I remember fumbling about to. Oh, I never like Skype. Skype name and <laughs> I yeah. couldn't remember my password. And oh, this is this is so easy. And I think people have realised, even outside of, of of COVID, that it saves so much time. It does definitely. Definitely, travel mm-hmm. time. Callum and I, I used to go to early morning networking and uh, we had to be sort of setting off at half past six, something like that, to mm-hmm. be there because we, we also we were part of running the group. And uh, and that was always quite hard. And, and then sort of when everything moved to Zoom, it's quite easy to be just, you know, like be there for seven yeah. minutes getting up early. <laughs> Well, I still struggle. I do one on a Thursday morning and I I starts at six thirty, even on Zoom. Um oh. I still struggle even though it's just from one room to another. Yeah, yeah, of course. I find early mornings difficult. I'm I'm so come <laughs> so Yeah. So let's be honest then, guys. What is it like working with each other as a family? How do you find it? Callum, yeah, do you want to answer um, that? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer. <laughs> yeah, um, the dynamic is is really good between us. Um, our we feel as though our skills um, complement each of us really well, and um, so sometimes we have our disagreements, <laughs> don't we? Um, but apart from that, no, our skills complement each other well. We enjoy working together, so. Um, how can you really complain? Yeah, 
I mean, we, we are well sort of oiled team. Um, mm. Always supported Callum. I don't know if you've said, Declan, that Callum has got autism. So mm. I've, I've supported Callum and that sort of has, that's why we have that team dynamic already. Mm. Um, yeah. And we yeah, do, that's, oh that's something I forgot yeah. to mention, the, the, <laughs> the amount of years we've been working together in kind of yeah. different scenarios. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the thing is, you know, like we can tell each other really, you know, if we're really annoyed with each other, we just say it out loud. Sometimes, of course, there's mm. shouting involved, but it's just blown <laughs> over in no time because we let it out, don't we? Yeah, that's I, a good thing. I, I, think, mm. I think it's best for the atmosphere of a company if you can openly talk to each other when you're not mm. so happy about something exactly exactly and mm. of course you always have to be open to for you know to to join into compromises so that's really really important i think because, mm. and i'm sure you've experienced that as well that as a as a mother sharon you you feel as so you know like you you should take the lead and at first and mm. to learn to just you know like sort of distinguish between being business partners and being mother and son. And mm. I think we've we've got I've, that I've, now. I actually think it took us both some time to yeah. really get yes, used to being did. business partners. It did, yeah. yeah. Oh, it did. With, I, I would agree with that. It took us ages. Yeah. I, would, yeah. I would say, you know, out of the two and a bit years, it's it's probably only this this year. And I think perhaps working even more separately because of COVID with you being in Leeds and me being in the northeast. Well I was gonna say that I think I think we got better personally for us when I moved to Leeds because it just felt like we were always living and like we just we just kind of I don't know. And then we always say, don't we, that we'd probably get in a HR meeting if it if it was um oh we if we were if we were in a workplace. Yeah, you work some of the things, well, and it know, actually you know took it for us as well. I think we we took on another director in April. Yeah, I think having you know three of us, and it's not just about me and Declan anymore. Um, we've got to think about Gary as well, and so I think the dynamics changed there, which I think has been a real positive for us. Oh, wow. um, yeah, and I, I was on holiday last week, and I felt as if. I was I was actually away as well, and Declan and Gary made me completely switch off. Um, and I felt that Declan really, really stepped up, um, and it made me really proud. You know what I mean? And I I want to be in the background. Yeah. I, I really want to be in the background now. I want it to be all about Declan. Um, I'd <laughs> rather be sat sat here doing my stuff, just in the background, and him doing his thing. So. I, I love it as I see his confidence grow, and you're probably like that, Karen, as well. With Absolutely, Callum, aren't you? You want, you want, as you know, even even out of the business situation, as a mum, you want them to fly. So when you actually see them doing it in a business scenario with you, it makes you feel even prouder, doesn't it? There's nothing better, I would say. Absolutely, because um, we had the situation in April. You know, when all that COVID stuff started and um, and up to then, I had pretty much taken the lead with business development. Mm. And um, and then we we fell into a bit of a hole because two projects got cancelled and, you know, the the mood was dire anyway. Mm. And uh, and we just thought, what what are we doing? We are, mm. you know, we're not getting any new business in. What are we doing here? Mm. And Callum actually took the lead and said, right we are going to completely go through our business model mm. and look at it 
again with fresh yeah. eyes with a fresh situation because this is going to last this is not just here for today and tomorrow so how can we pivot Mm. And that was Callum who took the initiative there. And he's really got us out of the hole. I, I, I just really felt because I'm, I'm kind of a really um, structured person, um, mm-hmm. having a certain structure um, would help us get, get out of where we were, yeah. where it would give us a, a kind of particular um, direction. Totally. And I'm very, uh. I'm, I'm the sort of, creative person. Callum's creative as well, but he's got mm. far more discipline than me. I'm just, mm. you know, I get ideas and I want to do it straight away. Oh, that's me too. Yeah. I'm yeah. Without well, thinking whereas, about it. Whereas like... I'm, I'm kind of the more <laughs> realistic one where yeah. I'm like, look, um, you, you have to have certain building blocks, you know, to get to mm. a certain stage. And Yeah. And that has really so take Callum has taken over all the business development, and and since then we've been getting business more and more business in things are things are running so much more smoothly, mm. and I can do what I'm good at, and Callum can do what he's good at, and it's just opened my eyes that I should just like you said take a step back and really let yeah. him shine, and yeah. uh, and that has that has happened. Yeah. We've, We've really found our places in the mm, business. We have. So, yeah. Absolutely. We, it's funny, isn't it? Because we, we're feeling that as well at the moment, aren't we? And whether mm. that's because of, you know, the situation and, and obviously, like I said, you know, we've got a third person who's mm. at the helm with us now. So it, it is a slightly different dynamic. But, um, you know, as a, as a mum, as a parent, you know what they're capable of. And actually, sometimes you don't know what they're capable of and they really open your eyes, don't they? Mm. And you just think, wow, you're far better at that than me. So off you go. Exactly. Get on with it. Mm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I love that. And I always think with the family as well, with the extended family, when we worked, when we started working with each other at home, it took them a bit of getting used to as well because mm-hmm. – it was all of a sudden it was not just mum and son dynamic it was also business partners dynamic so I always remember dad was like you were arguing a second ago how are you all right now and we used to just be well we're just we're just getting over it we're just we put the kettle on we have a (laughs) cup of tea and it's over um so and whether that that seems to be so much easier because you are family yeah and you can probably say things to it a close family member that you wouldn't say to somebody else or because they know the intricacies of your personality they know how you're ticking and sometimes you don't even have to say anything like yesterday for example we we lost a pitch that I was I was gutted over for, and Declan said just be gutted for five minutes come on let's get over it come on mm. and then I was like yeah I'm okay I'm okay onwards and upwards yeah um, and they're the sort of things that you have to deal with but do you remember for a time we would both get really down over that Declan yeah well it, it at the beginning as well it, at the beginning it feels a lot more um because if yeah, it affects just, it, yeah well it does but now it's like right on to the next one yeah well, yeah, you know. yeah yeah I, th- I think with us um, I remember that at first we were so keen to just get any job really that we could get. Yeah. Now we're in a position we also choose our clients. We don't want to work with just anybody. And mm. the Zoom uh, sort of uh, consultations that we do uh, before we do a quote, 
um, give us a good idea if we want to work with the person or not. Mm. And I think yeah. they can see that as well. And if yeah. they then say, oh, you know, like we didn't want to work with you or we, you were so expensive, then and we think, well, it was meant to be. They, mm. you know, mm. weren't a good fit. And, um, and I think that is the right way of working for everybody. Because if you are a business owner, and you want to give 100% customer service and you want to be 100% sure that you do a good job uh, for your clients, then you have to have that affinity with them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there will always be stumbling blocks. And uh, and I think we've we've learned that in a way, a little bit, not the well, hard way, but... Um, well, I like to see it as well. Mm-hmm. We've been through two stages already in, mm-hmm. in our business. So the first one is kind of the naivety stage, which I guess mm-hmm. all small businesses kind of go through. And that's really where we just got in any work that we could really. And, yeah, we, we didn't really know 100% what our market was. We just wanted to um, to get some extra cash in. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't really know. We didn't really have a proper direction yet of where mm-hmm. the business would go. And then um, the second stage, which I feel as though we're still in now, is the experimental stage. Mm-hmm. So the information that we take from the um, naivety stage, we can then use to experiment with um, different business models. And, um, Priceless, really. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then um, develop the business that way and mm-hmm. make the business as, um, as scalable as possible. It is. Yeah. It's nice when you get to that point where you can you have that choice. You know, at the beginning, you do kind of just take whatever work just to get some money in. But it is nice when you build and you can be a bit more fussy and be like, actually, I can tell you that you're going to be a nightmare client. So I really don't want to. Or we, might just... realized, we realized our, you know, obviously I've been in digital for a long time. So I've got a good overview of most aspects of digital marketing channels. And I guess for us, it was finding what we were comfortable with was, that was our strengths and playing to your strengths. Um, and and, I, and it took us a, a bit to get in that groove, didn't it? And obviously when we, when we brought Gary on as a director as well, that's when we really cemented our, our values and what our core services were going to be. Yeah. Um, and it's like you guys, you know, when you say that, um, when you said that, Karen, you, you find out, whether a business is right for you if you're a good match for each other mm-hmm. um, and that's that's really important I mean it's like us chatting here we we both in essence offer similar services mm-hmm. but it's about collaboration and our clients aren't necessarily yours so mm-hmm. you know we and vice versa so we don't we don't see people as competition in that in that way we just think there's enough work for everybody out there isn't there exactly. and we're all, all helping each other the industry as a whole gets a lot better yeah, mm. I I totally totally agree there. That's mm. exactly how we work. We we mm. collaborate. We don't see other people as competitors. We we see them as being you know running alongside us, and we can learn mm. from each other. I think yeah. it's really exactly. important to realize that mm. we have learned so much from other digital agencies, and most of them that that we have had chats to have, have all been very open, uh, very supportive. But it's also become because we are coming from the neurodiversity accessibility angle, mm-hmm. which is something that not many web developers do. We wanted to talk more about that. So, so I yeah, I, what I did, yeah, 
what I did want to just ask first before we get to that bit, um, just how did you end up actually working together? What was what was that initial journey to start with? Yeah. Um, Shall I go? Yeah, you can start and then maybe I can fill in. Yeah, I'm, very- <laughs> so, I'm always bound to miss out a, a few people. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Last year, um, I, gra- I graduated from my university course, and I've, and I found myself in in a job straight away um, after university. And um, because of my autism, um, it, well, it, it started off um, well in, in in the first week, like getting settled in and that kind of thing. Um, but with with the platform that um, we were using. Um, the the company where I was at they expected me to to start using it um, straight away and to have hundred percent knowledge um, of it which yeah w- which was a bit nerve wracking for me when I was put onto live um, client work in, in the second week mm-hmm. and, um, yeah but that's I, I don't really need to say anymore that's where mm-hmm. it kind of went wrong that's scary isn't it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's it's difficult for any person, but for a person with autism, that is toxic. Well, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, because of my autism, um, certain adjustments needed to be um, in, in place of me in in order to um, in order for me to perform to the best of my ability. So, for example, um, we were measured with, with a time tracking system for each um, job that we received, and. Um, a lot of people on the spectrum have um, time anxiety, so I, I was like constantly watching that cl- that clock tick, 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 and um, yeah, it, it started to affect my performance. And rather than getting the you know, the reassurance that I needed from my line manager, I, I got put on a performance warning in um, in the third week, and then oh, yeah. um, I know. And then, Two weeks in, and, and they do do that. And they knew and, uh, he was autistic as well, mm, so he had disclosed it in the yeah. interview. Yeah. And um, and yeah, my confidence was just um, completely mm. shattered from from there. Mm. And um, and I started making uncharacteristic mistakes. And I tried talking to my line manager about how I felt within that week. And um, and I t- and I asked him whether he's, he'd actually read up on autism. I mean, actually researched autism, but he said that he just um, read up on it, which which is um, clearly not enough. Mm. I think yeah. what what people, and I think that was actually a fairly standard reaction, um, because people think that autism is um, is something that they can read up on and then they know everything about it. But autism is something that an individual has. So the autism doesn't define that individual. Um, it is still the personality and the ability, the talent, but the autism is something that needs to be considered to get, you know, to actually get to the core of the person and to get, when it comes to talent, to get the best out of them. And there's often just simple adjustments that need to be made. Mm. And actually, you have to start with asking the employee. I was just going to say, would you would you just normally come out and ask and say, what do we need to do to help you? To do, and then Callum said, "Don't put me on the time tracker," and then it would have worked faster. Or maybe at least giving me some more reassurances that everything will be okay. Whereas I got no reassurances whatsoever. No, 
none whatsoever. And so, mm. but we thought, you know, like people were saying to us, you need to take them to a tribunal, because even though he was still in the in the uh, testing period, uh, he um, he could have taken them to a tribunal. But mm. uh, we thought no, because then it's just another case of somebody, mm. you know, like not, and it gives it a negative connotation. And we wanted to do something we, positive. We wanted, yeah, we wanted yeah. to turn it into a positive. We wanted to fight back. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That mm. was really important to us. And mm. um, and Callum just came home to me and he said, Mom, I'm not good at anything. I don't know if I'm not good at web mm. development. I'm not good at anything. Well, well, yeah. Um, I, be- I basically, at first, once I left the job, I, be- I basically blamed myself for everything. I thought that it was kind of my own fault. And then you mm-hmm. kind of um, convinced mm-hmm. me in a way that it wasn't my fault mm-hmm. and that it was exactly. just a, a, an unfortunate kind of experience for me. It was. And that we should mm. draw from it, learn from it, mm. and see how we can change the stat- mm. status quo. And that's what we're all about, really. At first, it was about the neurodiversity issue because we wanted to really show employers that with only small adjustments, they can get great employees because people, especially with autism, uh, have so much loyalty. Mm. And if they settle into a company, they stay. And yeah. also they are innovative thinkers because they and, see and all, things. And also extremely yeah. kind of conscientious as That's well. That's right. And they see things from a totally different perspective. Sometimes I get blown away by, by Callum saying, why haven't you just, you know, seen it from that angle? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> and mm-hmm. autism are often innovative. And um, and people with autism are, like Callum said, conscientious. They are reliable. Mm-hmm. And, and they are really... It seems like lots of Positives, yeah. But, you know, often people don't consider that. I guess, do they? They think it's always going to be a negative. Exactly. Because it, it's being kind of marketed in the media as, as a negative and potentially mm. damaging to have an autistic person in in mm. a company. So yeah, because you hear of so many, you know, like tribunals. So and so is taken to tribunal, and and we we just didn't want to be one of those people who wanted to take positive action. So the first thing that we did was obviously set up our web agency. Because Callum's a web developer, I'm a I'm a, a co- web content writer, so that was ideal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we also um, sort of got together with a neurodiversity consultant who tried to help us during the time that Callum had with the company. And uh, and then we said, oh, why don't we set up free workshops for employers? Explaining to them what neurodiversity is mm-hmm. and how you can get the best out of neurodiverse talent. And um, and also, you know, cover the legal angle. So we got together with um, looked and forced solicitors and they and together with Chris Puddle, Caroline Turner, we then set up a free workshop that was in January this year in York. Mm. And that was absolutely brilliant. We mm. we were oversubscribed. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, we we had planned our second one in March, but then obviously COVID happened and everything just, mm. Mm. you know, went yeah. out of the window. Uh, we saw if there was appetite for to to do it digitally, but um, there was no response whatsoever, and we understood that because people were far more interested in their own problems than to mm. learn about other people's problems and how to fix them. And uh, so, but that really put us onto a different path. And I don't know if you already want me to talk about web accessibility now, Declan. So, yeah, no, that, that, that yeah. naturally leads into it. So I was, um, 
I was actually looking at some facts that you put on your LinkedIn, Karen, mm-hmm. um, just about how uh, in 2019, businesses lost an estimated 17.1 billion as the rate of people who click away from inaccessible websites has risen to 70%. So obviously there's a huge market and an untapped market. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll be so honest. I don't think we've ever thought when we've built a website, have we, Mum? Is it accessible no. to certain people? It was only, it was um, only when we first were chatting to you a month yeah. or weeks ago that we thought, you know what, we should start thinking about this and start talking about it with our clients as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. definitely. I mean, because I suppose really we always like metaphors. We always use metaphors, don't we? Like me and you, Mum. And it's I suppose it's like you know, it's not having a disabled toilet for certain people who are physically. Yeah. I've got physical disabilities within your premises, so it's just, it's just like on online versions of that, just making it equal so everybody can use it and get from your site what they need. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the underlying problem really is is that compared to um, physical um, accessibility, digital accessibility has just been way overlooked. Mm, it has been, because yeah. the perception is is that physical accessibility is just needed. Mm. Mm. The thing is as well, it's covered in the Equalities Act 2010. So it is actually a legal obligation, but nobody is enforcing it in the UK. Whereas in the US, uh, since 2017, there has been a big case, a Domino's Pizza, where somebody sued Domino's Pizza because they couldn't use an app on their website where you mm. could create your own pizza. And uh, that man won. And they even took took it, Domino's Pizza took it to appeal and they lost again. And that man mm. got a lot of money. And a lot of people then thought, hmm, this is a good way of making money. <laughs> and yeah. suing companies left, right and center. And since then, the, the Americans are so much advanced in web accessibility for the wrong reasons, you could say. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, like they have a really buoyant market over there for web accessibility. And, uh, and it is in the UK, nobody is suing anybody. So, so for us and for our listeners, what 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 type of things does web accessibility mean? What 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 do you need to do? Okay, what you need to do is first of all, you need to consider other people's access needs, and that is, do people need to use assistive technology to actually access your website? Do people have a color a condition like a colorblind condition? Uh, do they have a cognitive condition like Callum with autism? Um, and then you have to ask yourself, what can I do? What what do these people struggle with? What what is their pain, and how can I solve this? And it's really not that difficult because good design will cover all of it, and with that means. For assistive technology, assistive technology has been developed, I mean, screen readers for blind people, yeah, that that are the readers that scan the website and then they read out what is on a website. Um, For screen readers, if there is a website that has been structurally well designed, which means it's got all the headers in the right positions, header one at the top, then header two, If there are headers underneath, header three, header four, and then the next header is header two again, 
and then yeah. go on. So a really, really logical structure. Then mm -hmm. a screen reader can just read, you know, according to the structure because that's mm. what they do. Images, for example, need to have alternative descriptions because the screen readers, if there are no descriptions, just come across a tag that says image and then they read out image. That doesn't yeah, that, that's a big, big bugbear for us, isn't it? We're always trying to educate our clients about making sure they do that because Google can't even, you know, Google can't see pictures, so it needs it needs words to know what the image is about. So yeah. you've got to do that more importantly for humans than Google, haven't you? Yeah. For that exact reason. Absolutely, absolutely. And that that is just, you know, like for for people that are colorblind, you have to take into account color contrasts. But that is not only for colorblind people. It is also if you have a good design, let's say you're outside on a mobile and the sunshine is quite bright. If you haven't got good color contrast, you can't see the website yeah, and mm. click away. So it's not just disabled people that are affected. It's also situational limitations. Mm. Or if somebody's broken their arm, they can't really, you know, operate the the mouse properly or, or you know or even the or, keyboard you know, or even the keyboard yeah. so how do they go about it so there there are so many things that you need to consider and there are quite structured guidelines in the WCAG which is the um, web content accessibility guidelines um, on how to deal with each separate sort of limitation you could say. yeah and uh, and it's it's a it's a learning curve, of course, and you have to know where to look. But it is just something where you have to follow guidelines, and you also have to do it intuitively. You have to think, you know, like does this website actually look structured? You know, like is it clear? Is the content clear? Mm -hmm. If people who are not very, um, you know, like who have got cognitive impairments, uh, learning disabilities um can they read the website and understand what it is if they can't because sometimes you have to use jargon is there something where you can link it to a dictionary so that they can click on it and get the explanation it is so many different scenarios but in general it's you have to think about uh, hearing impaired people sight impaired people cognitively impaired people, neurologically impaired people, people with, uh, let's say, Parkinson's, you know, they they, they have a lot of tremors, uh, mm -hmm. can't use a mouse or a, a trackpad. Uh, you have to think about people that, um, that have uh, conditions like colorblindness, uh, epilepsy, mm -hmm. or physical impairments, motor impairments, like I said with the Parkinson's, where you you know, where you cannot operate a trackpad and you have to do it via the keyboard. Mm. And these are all in California, the technical aspects on how to put tags on in the code, mm -hmm. how to design a website yeah. so that it is accessible. And that can be learned. Mm. And Fascinating that's stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Like you say, good, good web design. You know, we are, we are always conscious of, you know, the usability yeah. How easy it is for people to navigate and read it and, you know, access everything that they want to do. But there's so much more that we should all be thinking about. Exactly. It's interesting about you say that, Sharon. Most of the decisions in terms of how a website looks, 
and how it functions from an accessibility point of view is all decided in the design process. Yeah. And then Absolutely. the development process is just yeah. all about building it and putting it yeah. together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, uh, Sharon and Declan, we were guilty of that as well because our website as it is now is not fully accessible no. because we no. really were more looking for creative design because that's what we were about. You know, like we are neurodiverse, we are creative. That was our thing. But um, the thing is now, since we've learned about web accessibility, we've completely redesigned our website and we're just in the process of developing it. And then, you know, in the next few weeks, it will our new website will come out and it will look completely different, but it will still look good. But, mm. you know, there is a lot more contrast there. for, mm. And it takes into account, you know, like other people's needs, whereas mm. this website that we have now hasn't and we are mm. trying to Callum's been really really good and has really done his best to get the website done as soon as possible mm -hmm. but it takes some time because you want yeah. to do it right well you, you want to do it right and obviously yeah yeah absolutely so now we've we've learned so much that was in April May when we discovered web accessibility And we've come such a long way, haven't we, Callum? Yeah. And we know so much more about it now. We we mm -hmm. are actually going to um, to start consultancy services as well for web accessibility because it is such an interesting subject, and mm -hmm. we feel so passionate about it. And we and we want to make the UK a more digitally friendly space mm -hmm. because at the well. moment. It is not digitally well, inclusive. Yeah, and yeah. we also want to increase the, aware, the awareness of um, yeah. digital accessibility as well. Totally. So it's yeah. so great, you know, like that you as another web agency say, we are going to do something about this. That's what mm. we want to hear. Yeah, mm -hmm. we want yeah. I find it fascinating. We've got we've got to be, you know, we talk about being more inclusive in life in general, haven't we? Yeah. And, you know, when when everything is all about digital, we can't, We can't close the door there, can we? We've got to make it inclusive in that landscape as well. Yeah. So, well, I'm really looking forward to seeing your new website. Yes. So it yeah, should be we're, we're looking forward to seeing yeah, what it looks like. You see, the deadline for public services websites, for them to be fully accessible, was yesterday, 20 Um, of September and for apps it's next year in September um, but that is for the public services now with COVID I think everything will be speeded up the government will turn their eyes towards digitally include digital inclusion at uh, companies as well so yeah. I think you know like we are well placed to to be there when people need us Mm. And I think that that needs to be considered. I actually was at at a uh, at an event, Leeds uh, Digital Festival event this morning, and um, and they were saying they had web accessibility in that event, which is actually quite rare. But that company was also saying it was a research company. They do research for people where they actually ask people of their opinion, and then you know like help. Uh, other companies build platforms or whatever on based on those opinions. It's all mm. research. And they were saying that web accessibility is something that is definitely going to come next. So mm. I think 
it's really, really important. Well, I think it would be, you know, interesting for us to potentially think about collaborating on some projects because you guys are ahead of the curve on that. So I think it's possibly something we should start having, thinking more about and, you know, introducing those conversations to our clients, don't you, Dex? Yeah, and I, and I'm thinking there in my, in my head. Obviously, I know you've said how the the website structure is important and how how it's laid out is important. But is there is the scope for there to be different versions of websites depending on what someone's ability is? Is that something that would potentially happen in the future? So mm-hmm. I suppose what I'm trying to say is, if I was colorblind, mm-hmm. um, I see a different website to somebody that isn't. Is yeah. that is that what's happening? Yes, absolutely. Right, and I think you well, mean individual adjustments, don't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Apple, Microsoft—they're yeah. all already all the browsers. If you look, they all have accessibility extensions. They all have the um, you know like Apple have accessibility built into their hardware. They're really, really at the forefront. Microsoft have it. You just, Mm. nobody knows where to look. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. There's AI technology you can use. We are actually just partnering with an American company that uh, that have a a toolbar where you can actually just adjust the color contrast. And that will help people initially that don't have the money to have their website redesigned. They can, Mm. one line of code, install AI technology that will scan the website for errors and then adjust, you know, the old text. Um, ARIA labels is what, what the tags are called for screen readers. Well, it's it, it's it's mainly more like, do you know, um, when you have flashy images on your website, for example, or slideshows, mm-hmm. toolbars like the company who we've partnered with now, mm-hmm. they... Um, they stopped, you know, flashy images from coming up and mm. stopped slideshows for people with um, epilepsy, for example. Mm. You can also adjust the font size for people who um, find it difficult to read smaller text. So, text magnifier. So is that like some, is that that's something, so you would land on a website mm. and would you make those changes yourself because you are epileptic? You'd switch something on? Yeah, so once you go on the homepage of a website, you actually see the toolbar and then it's, yeah, it's all there. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, this already exists. I mean, that those, that AI functionality is not necessarily, you know, necessary because there is already in the browsers they have extensions where you can already do that and epileptic people probably already know that they haven't waited for us to come up with a solution they had to live with that all their lives so Mm -hmm. people already have the extensions that they need but Mm -hmm. those toolbars will assure people that um, that want to have an accessible website, that their website is accessible. It can never be 100% accessible because mm. like with everything in life, you can never please everybody, but you yeah. can only do your best. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, that, think, yeah. that's the point, isn't it, that you're doing your best to make it yeah. as accessible as possible. Because mm. I've noticed that before. I've been, I've been on social media yeah. um, and I've seen really – flashing lights sometimes before and that that's the only time I've ever thought god if I was epileptic that could have induced a seizure and I just suppose really Mm -hmm. that this is just another argument for which you know it shouldn't need to be spelt out but there should be a trickle down approach to this so hopefully as we get diverse 
more diverse boards in big business and you know neurodiverse hopefully that will trickle down and if people that have got accessibility issues also get higher up on these rungs as well and have diverse teams then you know it must be great if you build a team and you sat around a table thinking right we're going to launch a new product and somebody will go to you well have you thought of web accessibility you know it must just be there's such good the the reasons to have a diverse team is just it's so crazy that some a lot of companies still don't um and it's great that you guys, you know, have, have taken that positive from a situation mm-hmm. and how far you've come with it now to, to this place. Yeah. That you're going to be champions of this, you yeah. know, this diversity message. So absolutely. And we, we come from a from a sort of a from a position where uh like Callum has experienced it himself. So and that's why we are so passionate about it. It's yeah. something that we've sort of, you know, like picked up and thought, oh, that sounds quite nice. That sounds for business type of thing. Yeah. The best thing, yeah. It's from passion and experience, doesn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's just, yeah. Yeah. That's just yeah. what, what I was about to say. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're on the same lines, that, that mum and son team. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. 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 I myself back to try not to speak for Declan. <laughs> Yeah, zip it, Sharon, zip it. (laughs) But I think what people who are listening should remember is that good design is enabling and bad design is disabling. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. and that is actually that that applies to everybody, not just disabled users. Because some people may say, I don't know anybody who's disabled, so you know, I'm not really, I'm not really bothered about that. But uh, it's also about the commercial argument isn't it because yeah. the more people you can please with your website the more business it will get you and mm. as an seo expert you know that the better a website is designed the better it is for seo and yeah mm-hmm. you know like you win with everything isn't it exactly yeah. all the all the accessibility good good practices feed directly into seo good practices and so yeah. they support you know SEO, so it's uh, it's really really important for business as well, and mm. not just from an from an ethical point of view. Mm. And yeah. I, that needs to be sort of, and that's why we are using the commercial argument because I think that is where businesses really listen. You know, where yeah, is trick up, don't they? I was just about to say that it is a shame that kind of you know profit is what comes first, but it's when that's done in a way where it can improve people, other people's lives. I don't think you can necessarily complain so much, but yeah, it's a shame that the only time they're thinking, oh, maybe we should do that because that can make our profit bump up 15%. It's yeah. a shame it has to get to that, but exactly. I suppose that's the, the world we're in. Bear again though, Declan, um, if you really do enjoy what you do, um, well then hopefully the profits will become a byproduct. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that yeah. is clear, but if you can if you can see show that enjoyment with good design, with accessibility, yeah. then that's even better. Mm-hmm. And I think what has to be said as well is that um, there is something that is called the purple pound. I don't know if you are familiar with that term. And that the purple pound is what uh, disabled people, their family and friends spend 
that is a spending power because disabled people also recommend businesses, yeah, and their friends and families do. And the BBC in 2017 did a study of how much the purple pound is worth for the British economy in a year, and they've come up with a figure of £249 billion. Pounds. That is a huge pot. So as a business, why wouldn't you want to have, you know, a little bit of that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of those coloured pounds about. There's the pink pound, isn't there, and the grey pound. (laughs) Yeah, there is. There's loads of different ones. And and those come about purely because the mainstream brands and businesses seem to leave them out. So that's why we've got to talk about those coloured pounds because they are really, really important. And, you know, if they get left out, you're missing out a lot of potential there, aren't you? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, you know, that's our case for web accessibility. Mm. (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you. Um, Enjoy finding out more about that all the time. So, so yeah, you know, we, we are still developing um, and we are sort of going towards a, a consultancy sort of approach as well mm. as mm-hmm. development. And, uh, and we, we, again, we come from an experience point of view, which means we have developed websites. We are mm. developing accessible websites. So if we consult on accessible websites, we're doing it because we've worked ourselves up through the ranks. Mm. So, True. Yeah. 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 Before we um before we move on to chat about some other topics, yeah. um where just quickly where can people find you? What's your website? Is it LinkedIn? Where do where do people want to be? People can find us on LinkedIn. We are mm-hmm. Gamble, which is Gamble as in gambling, G A M B L E. And we are Karen Launus Gamble, which is M-A-U-N us hyphen gamble and we are creative ink with a k which is k creative and then ink inc for inclusive agency.co.uk so creative ink agency.co.uk there is another creative ink web agency in birmingham and we are not to be uh, mixed up with them because mm. they don't have an accessible website and we don't mm. think their website is very good <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'll tell you what well what i'll do what i'll do as well is i'll put um links to both of your linkedin and your website in our show notes yeah. so people can find it from there and when i write about it on social media we'll put your links in as well okay Lovely. all right so karen and callum are going to stick around for the next bit of the podcast where we kind of talk about some of the late digital tech marketing news whatever has been happening in between our recordings so um basically the 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 big topic at the minute that everyone in the industry has been talking about is netflix's documentary the social dilemma um which is all about big tech companies how they use our data um it's quite frightening in parts i found it anywhere so they're going to stick around and talk about that now so i don't know who wants to take the floor first with initial thoughts on the documentary i felt like i knew a lot of it and you guys probably might be the same um because obviously we work in the digital realm and we know that 
the the issues with data and third party cookies and all those kind of things. But um, yeah, what I found scary was more the bits later on where it was kind of like we're heading to civil war, which I thought sounded a bit dramatic. But then when you look at how polarized things have become in the recent years, I could kind of see it happening. You can um, see it, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. It's like, you, well, you can you could say about that. We could think that we're over dramatizing things, but look at the year we're in. Mm. Mm. Who would have, who would ever have written this year into something, into a screenplay or a book or? Wow. You'd, you'd go to the cinema and watch this year, and you'd be like, "Wow, yeah. that never happened." Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. What what was quite um, you know like quite profound in the um, in that documentary was how they showed how psychology human psychology is used against humans, how the manipulation is used against humans, and how mm. dangerous that can be, mm. and how it can lead yes to civil war to to outbreaks. I mean we've seen it um, you know in the issue of what happened to George Floyd that would have never grown as big as it has become if social media didn't get involved. And of course there were protests and they were violent and um, you know the climate change issue uh, that would have never gone as far as it as it has done with also violent protests. And unfortunately Violence is in our nature, not not so much in Callum's and mine, or <laughs> but it is in the human nature. And if we can't get what we want, or we don't get heard, or we think that we know better, it's very easy to let rip, isn't it? And mm. that is sort of with the manipulation that they showed. Um, you know, people are getting riled up, really. Mm. Up. Yeah, they are getting angrier and angrier, aren't they? It seems so situations like that have actually, you know, come to fruition. It's mm-hmm. Really, really scary. Also, you know, there are a lot of uh, people that that believe in conspiracy theories, and then they can see that you believe in conspiracy theories because of the the content that you consume, and then they're sending more to you. Like yeah. the flat, flat Earth people. Amazing. Yeah, 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 some of the things that I found a bit scary from it was that, you know, these people who were talking about how bad it all is were were some of the people who were were responsible for building it all up and now they're trying to take it down. Um, And and one of the quotes, I forget who it was who said it, but it said, said, how do you wake up from the Matrix when you don't know you're in the Matrix? Oh, my God. You know, this is all really scary stuff. We're sort of being used as lab rats in a way, aren't we? Um, when they said that the way that we, you know, the phones are designed for us to keep scrolling, it emulates the way the slot machines in Vegas yeah. and how addictive they are. And oh, it's just. I know. Well, sometimes I used to, I used to, I used to be a bit cynical in a way because I think we've had these conversations before, Mum, where I've said, you know, us using smartphones the way we do. Are we not ju- is it not just us moving on in the sense that when books were invented, people started reading books? Is it not just the the next step in that? But what I'm coming round to the fact of is how addictive they are, and they're actually using, our, as you said, Karen, there our our own psychology against us 
Mm-hmm. And it was quite scary when he said, none of you, the guy with the dreadlocks, he was like, he was quite a character in the in the um, he was. documentary. He was like, none of you are realising that they've changed your behaviour without mm-hmm. you even realising. And I was like, yeah. they really have. You know, That's when I was born, we didn't check Twitter when we first woke up, woke up on a morning. We weren't mm-hmm. liking Instagram pictures within seconds of opening our eyes. And it's... Mm-hmm. It's just so strange. Okay, definitely. Mm. I mean, you, you, Callum, you, you said that. Yeah, too. I said that. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to. I want to delete all of my social media accounts. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so I, do you know exactly how I feel, Callum? I mean, it, I just think if it wasn't for our work, mm. I think I would really just come off them all. It mm. it just really, it just really makes you feel, doesn't it, as though mm. you don't want to be another person manipulated by all of these algorithms. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like said that, didn't he? If just one person comes off, mm. that's something because you know, and we've we've t- we talk about it a lot in in our podcast, don't we? I mean, what what is this? Is this episode eight, Dex? This is nine. Nine, and we nine. we have a session in each podcast in each episode where we talk about all these things as we've said and and we do sometimes feel like we're repeating ourselves because it it really is top of the pile all this all these conversations isn't it um but it's and so a lot of the stuff that was in the documentary we we said oh yeah we've known all of that what they're saying um but so for ages we've been deliberately going outside of our news feed to find things that we wouldn't necessarily find because we knew that it was manipulating our sense of what's going on in the world mm-hmm. but that's because you know that's our every that's our everyday thing we know how to do that yeah. so you think of all the billions of people who don't know that exactly. and they're seeing that constant same news yeah. and that's why that guy talked about civil war didn't he because of that yeah. manipulation of news feeds yeah. where we're all turning against each other and especially in the states mm. because it, it seems to be mm. reaching some sort of peak over there doesn't it it's very much about yeah. injection of the hypodermic needle isn't mm. it really mm-hmm. what do you know, um, the hypodermic theory is, is kind of the theory that describes how you get manipulated by these social media platforms. Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't know. Oh. It was no, I haven't heard of that version. Okay, yeah. 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 I, I missed that. It's, it's, it's just a media term that I learned in, um, in my A-levels. <laughs> Why is it? You remember oh, that? Oh, that's <laughs> Funny young, aren't you? <laughs> Can't yeah. remember. Well, I do remember. It's funny how you come up with biology terms and you think, oh, that was from school. Yeah, mm. I know. <laughs> I mean, it does, yeah. Mm. I mean, like Callum is 23 and Declan, I don't know, you you are sort of maybe a little bit older than that. 26, yeah. 26. Yeah. So I think you are sort of the last of the generation. Like you say, you woke up and you didn't check Twitter. Yeah. Mm. For example, I, I know that Megan, who is 20, she is sort of, you know, that's kind she's of She's kind of in the snapshot, she, she kind is, of. Yeah, she's in the snapshot she generation. Yeah, she is, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and she is just, her phone is just always buzzing, always. Mm. And mm. it's just, you know, like I, I get really worried about that. She said, oh, I don't reply. But why not switch it off? And yeah. I can't switch it off. Like, oh, my, <laughs> you want me to chop off my leg? You know, it's <laughs> that and oof, I, it's scary. I just think that, you know, today Snapchat is especially dangerous because mm. there's one thing that really hit me in my documentary where 
they said that, for example, young women are going and having plastic surgery mm-hmm. so then they can, um, so look the best that they can on the snap on the like snap. Filters, yeah. so they can look like yeah. a filter on yeah. the snap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is so sad. I mean, that little girl when somebody commented on her ears where she put that photo up and then she constantly was like that, holding mm. her ears in. And there was something mm. wrong with her ears. Mm. Oh, mm. It's bad enough not liking something about yourself with, without having it, you know, exaggerated mm. through social media, isn't it? Yeah. Well, all these things have always existed, haven't they? You know, that you've all, you know, there was always bullies mm. in school when you, you you know, you, there has been forever. There's always been conspiracy theorists. Mm. There's always been what all these different things. But the internet and these platforms give all of these people extra mm. platform. They're in your pocket telling you this. You know, if you ever left school mm. and you were bullies, at least when you went home, you knew you were going to be okay. But now it's continuing through yeah. Snapchat, yeah. whatever yeah. else. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Like putting a magnifying glass up. You know, mm. everything, all all the issues that, that you think you have, it's like magnified and it's there 24 7. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's strange, yeah. is it, that they seem to correlate between, you know, the rise in mental health problems and suicide rates and wow. mm. all of this sort of stuff, is it? Wow, they were absolutely, I mean, anybody it was who's, really, yeah, who's it? listening to this, you have to watch The Social Dilemma. I watched yeah. my husband and mm. he was absolutely, he's not in the tech industry. He is absolutely not interested in technology, but he was absolutely horrified. And, uh, and we mm. both switched off our notifications on the, on the apps on Facebook mm. and on LinkedIn. I don't use Facebook very much, but. Well, when I was at the gym today, for example, because I usually got, um, scroll through my newsfeed on Facebook, um, whilst I'm at the gym in between workout sets. Whereas today I was like, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm banning myself <laughs> using my phone. And sometimes I forgot because it just comes so naturally to you. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, was on holiday, I was away on holiday last week in the Cotswolds. And Ooh, nice. like I said, the guys had said to me, you know, have a complete switch off. And I turned off all my notifications. Mm-hmm. I turned off the channels that we work through mm-hmm. and just didn't, you know, did a bit of Instagram with my photos and that was it. And I just felt overall much better for it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and, and I'm the same. As soon as my alarm got, I used my phone as my alarm, which they said, didn't they, don't have a phone in your bedroom at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I use it as my alarm. And the minute I've turned my alarm off, I put my specs on and I start looking to see. I'm just like, oh, get on. Yeah. Well, I think what perfectly summed it up is when they all said at the end. So bear in mind, the people that were speaking used to work for Instagram, Twitter. They all said that they wouldn't let their children have social media platforms. And you know you're going wrong if something that you've helped build, you will not let your children have. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a terrifying statement, isn't it? To say, yeah, you know, I've been working on this, but I'm not letting my child anywhere near it. I mean, it is. It's like manufacturing books, isn't it? Doesn't seem very ethical in a way, does it? That you worked on something that you wouldn't let your own kids near, but you let you let the world's population of children. Yeah, yeah. But these platforms have just totally run away with themselves. You know, Facebook started with Zuckerberg wanting just to connect to with his, his friends 
outside have been able to see them. You know, if you think of how these sites started initially, they were well, we to know make the world. Dex, don't we? We know he uh, is an alien. <laughs> I say that, he's an alien. He yeah. was placed on this earth as he's an alien from another planet. <laughs> <He's doing laughs> we know that, don't we? That's you sound like <laughs> you sound that like, you sound like a crazy conspiracy theorist yeah, now, Mum. Exactly. <laughs> it's worked. It's worked, hasn't it? <laughs> but no, I think they were initially. You know, they were they were a cause cause for good, and I just think they've all these platforms have all just ran away with themselves and become too big. Yeah, I, I think it's because, and, and let me ask you this, do you think if um, Steve Jobs invented the iPhone, the first smartphone, if, if that wouldn't have been existed, do you think the social media platforms would have accelerated the way that they have? No. Steve Jobs' fault. Well, in, in a way, it, it kind of mm. is. Yeah, it's... yeah, although I always say it's one person and it's another. Because it's within yeah. the to be innovative. Because think about it, once he created the smartphone, mm. apps were created. Yeah. Then the competitors of Apple, mm. they created their smartphones. Yeah. So, God yeah. knows what yeah. it's now with something even no. different. Uh, who knows? But I think it is in human nature to be innovative. It's pretty godlike, though, as well, isn't it? The power that these big tech yeah. companies have now. Absolutely. Like, who, who actually can shut Google down, for example? Who can do that? Well, nobody would. It seems possible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they can be regulated more. They can have a bit more regulation to them. Um, do you think that would work? I, I don't see how ever regulation would work. Well, all these companies have started in America, and that's because America doesn't have a lot of regulation. Mm-hmm. So n- none of these companies have started in Europe. No. So yeah, you've said that before, yeah, because you don't think they would have been able to. S- to, to amass in the way that they have if they were and in get Europe. away with what and get away with what they get away with America just lets you know they very much believe in the entrepreneur get in and invent and do whatever yeah 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 it's un, it, you know yeah yeah it, it's unchecked capitalism yeah there are alternatives yeah. like DuckDuckGo for example is a search engine mm-hmm. um, that does not mine your data. Yeah, uh, mm. and then there is another one which the guy in the program mentioned. Is it Quirt Quaint? Oh yeah, I remember it. Yeah, I can't remember. I just know Duck Duck Go. Yeah, no, it's been around for a while, hasn't it? Yes, but it's just we all know Google. I mean, we even talk about Googling when we're searching yeah. the internet. We're not searching the internet. We're Googling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Duck Duck, we're Googling. <laughs> Yeah. The vacuum on the floors we're hoovering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The power of a brand. Every day. Yeah. Like, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the power of a brand. It is. It is. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Well, we've been going an hour now and we try to keep these episodes at an hour. So um thank you so much for coming on um as our oh, first yes. guest. Our first ever guest. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting us. We really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. it was a lot of fun. And yeah. I think no, it was... it's nice to have somebody who's just so similar to us to bounce off each other. So it's really yeah. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. And who knows? Hopefully, maybe in the not too distant future, we could potentially meet face to face at some point. Oh. Although they feel like 
it's never going to happen again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, it'd, be nice. it'd be nice to go out and have a nice chat and a drink and something to eat, wouldn't it? To have yeah. that first to first. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah we great, should do yeah. that, definitely. Yeah. So that's Karen and Callum's interview and us talking about the social dilemma. Um, it's great that they came along and had a chat to us. Really nice people, really nice people. Love chatting with them. Very, very similar to us, it seems, from, you know, the couple of conversations that we've had with them. Very similar work ethics and, you know, what they believe in and, yeah, like them. Nice people. Yeah, definitely. Um, And it was good that because this podcast is quite a reactive podcast. We talk about what's happened in the last week or in the last couple of weeks and we only really decide a couple of days and I actually messaged them on Monday when I was recording on Thursday. I was like, watch the social dilemma. We're going to discuss it. So it was great that they were able to fit that that in as well um, and chat to us about that. But for now, that's everything. We've got another guest, hopefully, on okay. the next podcast in two weeks' time. Yeah. We've got another guest. In- yeah, but I'm not going to tempt fate. I'm not going to tempt fate in case things you know for what you know things can happen in two weeks but yes we should have another do i you do yeah have you mentioned it to me yeah oh okay okay (laughs) you definitely do (laughs) (laughs) but uh okay so we're done thank you for listening to this episode of it's in the jeans podcast you can follow us both on twitter i've got a new twitter because i'm working on my personal brand so, oh, I know. So I'm now, if you want to follow me for businessy stuff and techie marketing stuff, at digital underscore Declan, and you are? I'm constantly working on my brand, and I'm still on before end it. <laughs> <laughs> my handle is Diva Sharon. Um, <laughs> you can... <laughs> You can also follow our business at The Digital Gene. Please like, share and write a review for this podcast. And if you're talking about us out on social, use the hashtag, it's in the genes pod. I'm not good. Are we done? I beg for a review, don't I? But it doesn't work. No, no. Well, maybe you should ask some of your network personally, Mum. You know, all your blogger friends. I should. I should, yeah. Maybe that should be an action that you do. Okay, thanks for that. I'll leave that with you. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye.
Thank you.